Hi there, you're listening to the Steve Schramm Show, where we train Christians to become confident, passionate servants of Jesus so they can grow in their walk with God and share their faith more persuasively. Welcome to the show. So what does it really mean to call upon the name of the Lord? Now, this is a concept that for many of us, those of us who interact regularly with the biblical text, are going to be familiar with this idea, but we may not be as familiar with the real significance going on behind it. Different authors throughout scripture use this, and we see this motif both in the Old Testament and in the New. But I wonder if we really grasp what it means. This is, again, one of those cliche things. We hear it a lot, and we say it a lot, but we might not fully understand it. At least some of us may not. And so I have recently been doing some study along these lines, and I've come across a author who is a modern scholar, and she's writing these days on this concept, specifically the concept of what it means to bear God's name. And according to this particular person, who has made these connections throughout the biblical text. She's looked at these different themes and the idea of bearing God's name and seen that there seems to be more significance to it. She thinks that it's, it's, it's very much more than something like taking God's name in vain, being uh, akin to swearing or something like that, that we may think of. Now I don't swear and it may be a sin. I don't know for a Christian to swear. Um, I think that there are other passages of scripture such as not, you know, uh, d- uh, that deal with the way that we are supposed to act and to live and to talk amongst those who are unbelievers that would set us apart from them. So I do believe that there is reason from the Bible to deduce a separation in the way we talk. But I don't necessarily think that this idea of bearing God's name in vain from the Ten Commandments has anything to do with it. This is what she said in a recent interview. By the way, her name is Carmen Imes. And here is what she said. Quote, My dissertation was on the command not to take the Lord's name in vain, which is how most of us read it in English. I was exploring the possibility of not reading it as speech-related. In the history of interpretation, most scholars have assumed that this command has something to do with speech. It's either prohibiting false oaths or mispronunciation of the name or the use of God's name in magic or in cursing. There's all sorts of speech-related possibilities. I read the command as an injunction not to bear Yahweh's name in vain, so not to misrepresent him among the nations. So it's as though Yahweh put his name on his people to claim them as his own. And then he says to them, you shall not claim to belong to me and go out and live like the pagans. The closest passage in the book of Exodus to this command that uses NS with the word Shem, the word name, is high priestly garments. When the high priestly garments are described, he's actually bearing the name of the 12 tribes on the jewels on his breastpiece and on the jewels on his shoulder pieces. And it says, you shall wear these, and so you shall bear the names of the sons of Israel for a memorial before me in the tabernacle. So there's a concrete example there of what it would look like to bear a name. 
They each have a share in his ministry by having their names on all his person. He represents them before Yahweh. And so we are supposed to represent Yahweh before the nations. And then, of course, the high priest also has the medallion on his forehead that says, Holy Belonging to Yahweh on it. Close quote. Now, remembering that the New Testament has a profoundly Jewish context, it's really no surprise that we see this term carry over from the Old Testament, in spite of its increased usage density. I did look this up, and it appears that the New Testament has this phrase, the name of the Lord, only 21 times, but the Old Testament has it 88 times. So, obviously, there is a diminished usage of it. However, the idea does seem to carry forward into the New Testament, and I think in some very important ways, which we are getting ready to see. Now, there are numerous points of significance to the idea of bearing God's name. And as we saw in Carmen's quote above, it definitely seems like they go beyond this concept of simply ill-speaking. First of all, the name of the Lord confers authority. It confers authority. So much of the time, this phrase, the name of the Lord, in the New Testament— is used to denote divine authority in the person of Christ. Now, again, what we want to do here, the way that I'm kind of lining this out, is we want to go with the assumption that what Miss Imes said is right. This idea of bearing the name. If this is true, then what is the significance when it comes to the Old Testament. And again, I'm not going to go through the argument, at least not in this particular episode, for why we think that bearing the name of God is is this more um, this more deeply ingrained idea than it is simply something about speaking. However, what you are going to see by looking at the New Testament references to it is you're going to get a glimpse into what some of those more deep ideas were. You're going to see things that are associated in the New Testament with bearing the name that make it obvious that the idea, the Jewish idea of bearing God's name went beyond simply speech. So we're not defending that from the Old Testament, but rather from the New and understanding the significances of it from that. And the first of these is that it confers authority. Frankly, it was used to identify Jesus as God. This is pretty cool. Mark 11, 9 through 11, describes this scene from the so-called triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And they that went before, and they that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked about, excuse me, and when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out into Bethany with the twelve. Now, this was not a particular instance of Jesus claiming divine authority. It does, however, reveal the contextual understanding that first century Jews had when it came to the expectation of their Messiah. They stood in rejection, of course, of Jesus as this figure because they didn't expect the cross. But but they knew when this figure 
who for all they understood then was the Messiah. They honored him as that. He came in the name of the Lord. He was ushering in the kingdom, right, of the Messiah. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. All right, this Messiah figure, Jesus, did not merely come speaking the name, but in the name as God's representative, as Yahweh's representative. He would bear the name of God. That was the point. Secondly, the name of the Lord confers power. To bear God's name is also a matter of having power. And because this is true power, bound up in Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. This is why to bear to bear God's name is to have power, because this was the God who created the world. This was the God who brought his people out of Egypt. This was the God who had delivered his people time and time again. This God had all power. This God had all authority. There is no God more powerful than him. There is no God like Yahweh. Consider Acts 19 verses 13 through 17. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house and naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. The power by which these demons were overcome was that which can only be manifested in the name of the Lord. Now, in James 5, we see an example of this name theology as applied to prayer. And in this specific instance, it was prayer for the sick. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. That's James five, thirteen through 15. So uh, there's nothing special here about someone in the church who has the title elder, nor is there anything special with the oil. There's no special property, healing property, or something like that with the oil that they were commanded to use. No, rather, the power to heal came through and appealed to the name of the Lord. And and not just the words, not just saying in the name of the Lord. That's not what matters. It's not this association. But rather, it's the meaning and the power and the authority behind it. This is not to simply speak the name of Yahweh. This is to invoke the power of Yahweh. And there is a huge, huge difference between those. Finally, 
the name of the Lord confers salvation. Now, this is perhaps the most easily recognized instance of this passage. It's in Romans ten thirteen, And it says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Simple enough, right? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in this particular passage, here we see another interesting aspect of the name. Now, um, this is the one, though, that in our modern vernacular, I think is going to give us the most trouble. It comes naturally to us to resort to the idea of speech or language when we think about this. Because, again, we're calling upon the name of the Lord. It sounds very much to us like we're saying, Lord, I am calling upon you. I want to be saved. That kind of thing. But I don't think, for the life of me, I don't think that's what's going on here. It's not as though someone who merely speaks the name of Jesus will invite salvation into her life. That's not, that's not the deal. This is to rip the name out of its scriptural context and to give it a meaning that it was never intended to have. No, in what we learned above, this is to take on the name of Christ. This is to, in a sense, become one with Christ, to be in Christ, the language that Paul often used. And again, we see the marriage analogy going on a lot in Scripture. It's very relevant here. You know, we see all throughout Scripture how we are the bride of Christ. And this is the idea. Again, we are taking on the name. We are bearing the name. We are not simply speaking the name, not simply calling the name. So to call upon the name of the Lord, what it really means is trusting in what he has revealed to be true. It means that true, genuine repentance from your wicked ways and a pursuit of the godly life is to bear the name of God. Now, I'm not talking here about the concept that some espouse of lordship salvation. I'm not going to argue whether or not that's right or wrong on this podcast. I'm just saying that's not what I'm meaning here. I just mean that when you take the name of Christ, you bear the name of Christ, it means you are identifying yourself with him in a very, very meaningful way. You have union now with Christ. You're representing God, Yahweh, before the world, and you follow him unwaveringly in believing loyalty. Now, beyond our salvation, our loyalty to God's name also contributes to our sanctification. I'm going to read this passage here for you. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. You're sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. We are judicially declared just in the sight of God because Christ's blood has been applied to our account. We're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus because, again, we are in Christ who himself bears the name of 
Yahweh. Again, I think when you really dive into this motif, you start to get some some amazing connections being made throughout different portions of scripture and you really get to understand the significance behind this concept so if you're more interested in this i have not read her book yet but i'm going to be reading it and i hope you will too this um book called name or excuse me this book called bearing god's name again is by carmen joy imes and the practical application comes through this book as well so you get into the history and the significance and the practical application of name theology and i think you will enjoy it based on what i've seen i know i'm going to enjoy it well that's it for this week's episode of the podcast i am excited to get to do this for you each and every week if you would i would love for you to leave a review for the podcast here i like to read the reviews out so if you leave a review on uh, your podcast platform i guess of choice that would be um iTunes, you can leave a review, you can leave reviews on Spotify and different ones. Uh, if you did leave a review there, um, hopefully I will see it. I will try to make it to where I can see that and I'll uh, read it out here, right here on the podcast for you. If you're interested in this material, you really like what we do here and it blesses you and you would like to partner with me to become a sponsor of more new free content just like this, you can join up for as little as $1 per month and there are some really cool benefits as part of that as well um, if you become a patron, okay? I don't have any as of the time I am recording this, so I would love to get a patron um, going, a Patreon stream uh, going there on the Patreon account. People who are so interested in this content that they would like to sponsor the creation of new content so that others can receive it as well. So I would love for you to join me over there. You can get there by going to steveshram.com slash give. All right, thank you so much. It's a blessing to do this for you each and every week, and we will certainly see you next time.